Welcome to the She's Electric podcast. I'm Pia, a passionate food consultant who is learning how to build my business while raising my young family. And I'm Kaya, dedicated business coach and enthusiastic yogi. It's our mission to help working mothers redefine the way they work and reimagine what is possible. We aim to be raw and real about the challenges and highlights we experience on our journeys of motherhood, business and life and hope that by sharing what we've learned, we can help you too. Welcome to She's Electric Podcast. Kaya, how are you? I am good. I'm excited to be here today and to talk about this really important topic that I think I think affects a lot of people. Yeah, so this is something that literally only happened to me this morning. And it, I had a conversation with a woman who was outside crash, right? So we had both dropped our kids over um, and we got chatting outside. And what she brought up, I just think is so common um, that I wanted to bring it up today. So yeah, thank you for giving me a, you know, the space to talk about this. Um, so basically, what this woman was talking about, she is due at the end of December. I'm due at the end of October. So we are both kind of chatting about these things. Pregnant mama and to pregnant mama. Pregnant mama to pregnant mama. Just having conversations about all the things that need to be done and all the questions like, what, where are you going to put your second child? What crash? You know, how are you going to manage two babies? You know, all this, all this, all this, all this. And she one thing that she kept saying was i i should i should do i should do i should do i should do um and she was talking about how she should be doing exercise and she should be eating better and she should be um doing mindfulness and meditation um because all of this the, i suppose the the massive to-do list that I feel as well. And I definitely feel it with, you know, I'm in the next two months, I need to try and wind down my business in a way that I can actually take some proper maternity leave off. So I'm feeling this kind of constricting list of to do's that I have to be completed before I have this baby. And she obviously is feeling the exact same way because she has built this whole list of shoulds around herself. Um, and one thing that struck me you know, in particular was she was saying that, you know, her anxiety is is getting quite high because she remembers on her first birth how anxious she got. You know, she definitely had some form of postpartum depression. She couldn't sleep, you know, wasn't eating properly. All of the things that is such a common story for so many mothers. So she's she was saying that she wants to uh, bring herself down. She wants to do more mindfulness is, is the word she used. I want to do more mindfulness because I want to be calmer going into this pregnant, into this pregnancy and into this birth. But the word that kept coming up is I should, I, I, I should do this. And she said something else really, really interesting, which was, I just, I can't do, I can't do meditation. I can't do mindfulness. Um, you know, I'm not good at nutrition, you know? So there were all these things that I felt that were attached to her identity as to why she can't do this. So 
it's something that I have always been so interested in is why do we not do the things that we say we're going to do? Why do we set ourselves goals, you know, that are, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week, or I'm going to eat healthy, or I'm going to get up every day and write in my journal. We say that we're going to do these things and then we don't. So I've really tried to, an- tried to analyze this because it's such a huge part for you and me and our client work is trying to get our clients to take on lasting behavior change. Absolutely. And if you can't get them to do that, exactly, you're not going to get results. You're not going to get them to change. So this and is that, the topic that I wanted to explore today. Yeah, and that um, the context that you just set gave a very good red flag to anybody who's listening, which is that that word should, it's a bit yeah. like try. It's a danger sign because when we think that we should do something, what we're telling our body is very different from when we use the words, I want to do mm-hmm. something. If you just think about the energy of the words, should is such a loaded word, you know, it's literally got such an emotional weight of Mm -hmm. kind of deficiency, as in you're already not doing it. It's this thing that like, you know, isn't you, but, but should be you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's just, it's also, it's to enter any task from the perspective of should it's not fun. It's not compelling. You know, should is not a word that makes me go, Ooh, this feels really yummy. Like this is something I want to get up and do. No, it's It's like, it's totally, it's total drudgery. So I have looked into this so much because I'm always trying to get my, my clients to get around this word should, we should be doing this. We should be growing our turnover. We should be making healthier products. You know, it's all these things. But what I'm really interested in talking about today is in terms of our own personal goals and our own personal shoulds versus our own personal wants. Um, And it's this idea, the reason why we don't do the things that we say that we're going to do is this idea of defensive failure. And essentially what that is, is we will vehemently defend things that we feel that we can't do because our brain wants to keep us safe. It doesn't want us to try and do something and fail. So we defend the possibility of failure. And there's a really good saying, I have heard it so many times over the years. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. And that's exactly what this is. If you say that you can't do something and you fight for it and say, look, I just can't do mindfulness. I can't do yoga. I can't do Pilates. I can't get up and go running. You get to keep those limitations. Absolutely. And so... There are three main reasons that we basically in how our brain works to try and protect us from this failure. So the first one is, you know, basically, if you don't want to, I'm just going to have to um, edit that. Sorry. One second. I'll skip a pause so I'll know to edit. So the first the first reason is. Um, that, or oh my God, Kaya, sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, so where was I? Defensive failure. Okay, so the number the number one reason why you are not doing the things that you say that you should is because you don't want to. You think you should, but that's not the same as wanting. And so the reasons that people give for having to do things are all usually extrinsic. I should go to the gym. 
I should exercise. I should eat healthy. I should be nicer to my partner. But really, when we stop focusing on those extrinsic motivators and we start looking intrinsically as to why do we want to do these things? Yeah. What do you actually want? Absolutely. You know, and I had a client before I was I was at this talk um, with all these women and I, I came in, and I was giving them a kind of a motivational talk. And one of the women in there, she said, I I said, you know, what what's one of the things on your we were doing vision boards? And I was like, what's one of the things on your vision board this year? And she said, oh, there's pictures of me doing yoga. And I was like, OK, great. Tell me more about that. And she said, well, I, I, sh- I should be doing yoga. And I said and she kind of gave a face like, oh, I should be doing yoga. And I went, oh, that sounds really exciting when you put it like that. <laughs> um, but I was like, you know, how does it make you feel when you say you want to do yoga? And she was like, oh, well, you know, it's just it. Yeah. You know, she just wasn't I feel like lying down, just listening to the story. Oh, my God. One hundred percent. It's like I th- there was just no way she was going to continue that out throughout, throughout the year. So I said, well, why do you want to do yoga? Well, she said, well, I suppose I want to get healthy. And I was like, well, why do, why do you want to get healthy? And she said, well, you know, it's just, I, I just want to feel better. And I was like, well, what if yoga was something that was not just about you getting healthy? It was about you having space for yourself. And she said, oh yeah. And I said, how would that feel? And she said, that, yeah, I, I suppose. And I was like, so the yoga is not really about you doing exercise. It's about you carving out 30 minutes or an hour or 40 minutes, three times a week to just have space for yourself your family know this is when you lay out the mat this is when you light a nice candle for yourself this is where you play nice music and this is about you having time with you and I said how, how does that feel versus I should do yoga and she was like oh my god it's completely different I hope you want to pipe in there because I want to give you space to talk as well yeah I think it's super super interesting I'm reading well I've, I've actually just finished reading Viktor Frankl's um Man's Search for Meaning oh, and I love that book it's I mean it's What's been jumping out to me all the way through is that while, you know, this is a, it, it's for, for anyone who hasn't read it, it's, it was interesting for me because I think you hear a lot of people referencing this book all of the time. And what you think it's going to be about is quite different to what it's actually about. Mm-hmm. I think that it is a, he he's a, he's a psychotherapist and it's, it's a study of what he observed of himself, but also the people around him whilst in concentration camps and also in life after. And the thing that jumped out for me was that it came back to this exact point, which is why. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about people who survived concentration camps, which I think the statistic was something like one in 47 people would survive and he was saying it wasn't about how fit they were it wasn't about how healthy they were it wasn't about their age it really came down to one thing and it was could they find a reason to live yeah and that reason could be you know it could be to come back and find a child it could be because they had a you know a piece of work that was really meaningful for them that they wanted to finish it it could be because they wanted to be reunited with a loved one there wasn't Mm. It, it didn't matter what the reason was, but what compelled people, in this case, it's extreme, to stay alive was having a reason why. And as I was thinking this, it's like, you know, all so much of all of the wisdom, whether it's from this Holocaust survivor or it's from a great yoga master or it's from a business guru or it's, you know, one mother to another mother sharing mm-hmm. with them, you know, advice on how they can can 
give themselves the motivation and the reason to do the things that they say they want to do it always Mm. comes back to the same thing which is this reason what why do you want to do it yeah yeah absolutely and it's all about the, the way that you're going to start doing the things that you say you're going to do is by creating a compelling vision and a compelling reason as to why and it has to come from you it can't come from the pressures of society you look at a magazine and you look at a woman who looks really fit and that makes you feel like shit. So you're like, oh, I need to exercise. Totally. That's a really horrible place from which to take up a new habit. Um, and like, I always talk about this, but I'm bringing it up again. Um, this morning I got up, I, I was up really, really early. I had a really bad night's sleep, uh, lots of baby kicks, needing to pee, all that stuff. And I got out of bed and I, I ran up the stairs 10 times you know that thing that I do every morning did I want to run up the stairs 10 times this morning no did I want to cultivate energy because I felt so crap and I kind of felt that adrenal fatigue and I wanted to kind of get rid of that cortisol 100% so that for me was my motivator for running up the stairs did I feel better after it oh my god so much better but if I just said I need to run up the stairs I would not have done it yeah, I should run up the stairs because I, you know, I want to stay fit. And I think actually mm. one of the things that's really important for um, people, for anybody, like when you're thinking about your reason why you want to do something is that there has to be no judgment in it. Wanting yeah. to look good, that's okay, mm. right? Yeah. Wanting to have yeah. a good body, that is okay. Like that is yeah. valid. Wanting somebody to find you attractive, like all of these things are okay. And it's kind of like, sometimes the thing that's going to get you up and get you exercising is because you want to look good in a bikini right mm-hmm. maybe yeah. it isn't because you want to be healthy maybe healthy doesn't actually resonate for you because you're not connecting it with some desire that you want and I think for me personally I am quite a healthy person so doing something to to be healthy it just doesn't motivate me we spoke about this before when I talked about mm-hmm. the cold shower The reason I get in a cold shower every morning is because I want to make more money in my business. And I know that getting in a cold shower, it's hard. And if I do it first thing, anything else that I do in my day, I'm primed for. I've taken uncomfortable action and I'm ready to take more. And, you know, it doesn't, does it, you know, feel amazing to say that I prioritize making money over health, you know, it's probably not something that I want to, you know, I, I really am promoting, but that's mm. how I feel. And that's my yeah. reason why. And I think that until we just get okay with accepting what it is that we want and why mm-hmm. we want it, it's hard for us to kind of really connect with the why we're doing things and then make ourselves do them. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved the day that you came up with that reframe around the cold shower because it hadn't been landing for you for so long. And then when you connected it with uncomfortable action, you were like, boom, this is just this is a no brainer for me. And that is the power of intrinsic motivation, something that you genuinely want and that feels exciting to you versus the should that society weighs down on us, especially women. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, that is the thing that we would, that's, that would be the action that I'd ask people to take away. What are the things that you are telling yourself that you should do? And what are your reasons? You know, try and separate the should from the what you want. Why do you feel that you should do this? 
what is something within that that could be really, really exciting? And, you know, one thing that I always talk about with weight loss, for example, is everyone feels that they should be losing weight and they should be in better shape because we are held to this very, very high standard of what women should look like. But if you look at, I want to feel more confident around my husband. I want oh, to be, I want to have desire Yeah, 100%. I want to, I want to be able to, you know, go swimming or get out on the beach and, and feel great and feel really proud of myself. That's a much more exciting reason than I just need to lose weight because I need to look like all these women in the magazines who I will never look like. Totally. And I think that you've, you've hit on a really important thing there, which is like, the emotion that comes from the result yeah. that you're seeking. And, you know, that was a perfect example with the weight loss because it's like, actually, it's a lot of people, they do make changes and nothing changes in the way that they feel. Mm. And that's to do with, you know, not incorporating other work like self-love, like self-worth into whatever you're doing to change that external image. But I yeah. think that, you know, that outcome of feeling more confident in your body and therefore having better sex, you know, Mm -hmm. feeling great in the clothes that you wear, performing better in a meeting at work. Like all of those things are tied to the way that you maybe feel when you lose weight. Yeah, absolutely. And one example that's really clear to me right now is in my business, I am trying to wind things down so that I can take maternity leave. I keep talking about this, but I, in order to do that, I need to engage with virtual assistants. I need to write job specs. I need to do all these things that just feel so boring. <laughs> um, but when I have them in my to-do list, which is like, I need to write a job spec. I need to, um, I need to hire and train someone to kind of, to help run my business while I'm gone. That just doesn't sound very exciting. Whereas when I think of, I want to have undisturbed time with my new baby. I want to have these 40 days postpartum where I just switch everything off. I don't want anything in my business coming you know to what's my so, attention. What's so interesting about when you just said that example is the first way that you described it was, I need to write a job. Spin. Yeah. I yeah. need, you were just like needing to do all of these things. And then as yeah. soon as you shifted into what those things were going to give you, you were like, I want to you know have all of this time so it's like you just demonstrated it it there kind of unconsciously in the way that you were talking about it it's need is another one of those words like should yeah you know it's like stop what do we actually want here what is it that we want yeah yeah exactly and so the thought of me being able to power down get to know my new baby and have nothing disturbing me that is such a compelling vision that it's making all those other things feel really easy to do because I know that they're are they are what's going to get me there. So you want to write a job spec today? I want to write a job. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the second reason why we don't do why what we say we're going to do is that we don't feel it's part of our identity, right? And this is a really really huge one with behavior change because when we change our identity, we change our behavior. And this woman this morning, one of the things she kept saying is just, I, I'm just not one of those people who can meditate. I just can't meditate. I, I can't paradigm. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't. And it was so intrinsically linked to her identity. Mm. And what I see is that we always do this as adults. We just, we, we take on a new habit, behavior, task, whatever. And when we're not perfect at it from day one, we, we say that it's just something that we can't do. 
And it's when you think about the first time that you rode a bike, Kaya, were you any good? No. And it's, I mean, I love that you brought this up because it's really, it's a protection mechanism against mm-hmm. failure. You know, totally. it, it, That's it deep exactly. down, it comes to, comes down to like, I need to protect myself. And if I tell myself that, you know, these things are not meant for me, that it's an us and them, and I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just protection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this woman today, you know, when we were talking, she's like, God, you're just one of the, she said, you're so calm. You're just one of these calm people. She's like, you're much calmer than I am. And I said, I'm someone who used to have six panic attacks a day. (laughs) This is, I said, this is a learned behavior. And I just said, look, I was really bad the first time I meditated, the first time I tried. Um, But I said, what it, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. So it's about dedicating time every day. And I said, this could be five minutes. This could be 10 minutes where you just power down. You just shut out the world. And over time, you'll find, you know, the first few times it's awful, like your mind is going crazy. But of course, it's going crazy because you haven't powered down in so long. And also, it's it's like even even after years of meditating, you will have days, many, many days where you sit down and your mind is busy. And that's just information. You know, it's it's actually nothing ever changes. Every day we wake up new and we wake up like Mm -hmm. a child where we can we can prime ourselves to have a different experience of the day. And actually a lot of people people come into their day and add all this weight of this Mm. you know I am this I am angry I am not calm I am this I am that all of these layers of stories that they're so attached to that they don't give themselves the opportunity to wake up every day and be a new child and say wow like what's going to happen today you know Uh, absolutely and you know there's so many moms who listen to us and it's you know what I recommend is look at your kids look at how they embrace failure they you know, when Enzo falls over, he giggles. He finds it funny instead of going, oh my God, you're such an idiot, Enzo. <laughs> Do you know? And it's, we we never give ourselves the space to be a novice at something. It's like, you know, if we fail the first time, we just form that as part of our identity. Oh, I'm the kind of person who can't do that. I'm not good at nutrition. I'm not good at jogging. I'm not good at, you know, following an exercise plan. It's, and it's, you know, it's not about, being perfect at the start it's about dedicating okay I'm going to put in a certain amount of time every single week to do this and it's not going to feel easy and it's not going to feel good but it's breaking through that barrier that's what leads to behavior change totally and I think this is all tied into continuous improvement because I think that you know anybody who is a yogi and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who are one of the core teachings in yoga is the beginner's mind. And it's Mm. the wisdom that we can see when we have a child that you're describing. And that beginner's mind applies in any situation. I'll give you an example of where it's happening for me at the moment. It's, Mm. I notice one of the places where I have a lot of stories is in the way that I interact with other people, particularly people I'm close to. Let's take the example of my husband. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not even... I am not approaching situations with him with a beginner's mind. I am not like, oh my God, let's see what's going to happen. I am like, I know how this plays (laughs) out. I know what you're going to say. I know, 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 right? All of these days of judgment (laughs) of like assumption of, you know, I know what's going on in your mind. I know what you think. I know what I think, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's so boring and it's the complete opposite of having a beginner's mind. And Mm. so 
that is a place of, yes, there are times when I'm going to fail. And I notice that I've gone back into that patter. But I can tell you that just once a week, having a different response to what I normally do and breaking Mm -hmm. a pattern, I am probably having like one success for every six failures at the moment, right? It feels, Mm -hmm. it can feel a bit crappy, but actually like it's continuous improvement. And it's like, this is the place that I want to focus on because this is the most important relationship in my life, right? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting that actually it's from reflecting how much I'm putting into work and how much better everything feels in my life when I actually focus on things outside of work. Mm -hmm. You know, I've put a lot of energy and attention into friendship in the last year and into connection and connecting with people. And this you know, this next period of time, I really want to pour into my relationship because I think that Mm. that's a place that deserves some attention and some love from me right now. And it's really important Mm. to me. And I think that by pouring into that place, a lot of, you know, I'm going to get a lot of benefits in all other areas of my life. But that requires me to, you know, dig deep and fail big time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up the example of the beginner's mind, because that's exactly what it is, that we can't reach our goals overnight, right? But we can change our identity overnight. We can start acting like the person who gets up early every morning and writes in their journal. We can start acting like the person who follows a nutritious diet 80% of the time. You know, we can start doing those things right away. And it's funny that, you know, you bring up your relationship with Steph and it's we tend to create this identity and this narrative around the people who are closest to us. Totally. So many Don't stories we? about them, about us, about them, about what yeah. they think about yeah. us. Yeah. Right. And I'm telling you, yeah. most of them don't make us feel good. They don't make us feel good. And they're actually not true. And it just happened totally. to me last night. Stephen got a new monitor and he was he was setting it up and he noticed there was a huge crack on it, which just... That just really gets Stephen down. Send him over the edge. Yeah. Oh my God, send him over like anything with technology. If technology doesn't work, it's like he is sent over the edge. And he started catastrophizing last night saying, <laughs> you know, did I break it? Did it break in transit? Uh, they're not going to, they're not going to um, reimburse me for this. It's going to, I'm going to have to pay this cost. And Stephen has this saying, which is don't worry about something until it happens. So I said, you've emailed them. You've sent them photos. I said, their insurance is going to cover this. But he, you know, this is, this is all going to be fine. And I said, stop worrying about it before it happens. And um he couldn't do that. He just, he was so untied of the whole thing that he ended up um, looking up all these different videos on return policies. He was, you know, and he was just in a funk. And I found myself starting to get annoyed over it, you know, and I remember you saying, you know, in the times when, when you and Steph have been in a funk with each other or Steph's in a stinker and you're not, but then you start to involve yourself in it and you get totally. stuck in it. I started doing that last night and I was like, you know, trying to like bring him down and I was stepping into his bad, his bad mood. And I was You're like, to, I will like, solve fix it. You're not it. allowed to be in a bad mood. Stop. You're not allowed to be in a bad mood. And then I remembered what you said, which is like, I, you know, I don't need to be part of this. You know, totally. I need to empathize. And, and so that's what I did. I was like, look, I'm really sorry that this has happened. And I know how disappointing it is. Um, And I said, you're, you know, you'll get the email tomorrow, hopefully. And look, we'll deal with it then when we know more. And he was in a stinker then the rest of the night. And I just stayed away from it, you know, and that felt really good. 
But whereas before I would have been sitting there going, he's in such a bad mood. Yeah. And I'm in a bad mood. He's now. ruining the and evening. He's ruining the evening now. And we're just back from holiday. And, blah, 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 blah. and you know, it was actually, it was really, really nice to break that narrative around this identity that, you know, that we all create for our partners. Yeah. It's the witnessing of somebody and not becoming a part of it. It's super, super powerful. I think that it's something that like 100% I am like at beginner stage with, but I'm noticing Mm -hmm. that it has such a big impact on me, on the way that I feel. And also the number of stupid little bickering things that you, you, you get involved in because you involve yourself in something and it's this like blame game, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's exhausting and tiring. I am celebrating you that you walked away from that. (laughs) Thank you very much. I felt very, very big. (laughs) Um, so it's just it's to keep reminding ourselves about this beginner's mind and reminding ourselves that you know we are going to be crap at this at the start like as I bring up I feel every week when I get angry at Enzo it's like my beginner's mind I'm still a beginner to being a mom like Mm. I only have a two-year-old you know so when he loses the rag and then I lose the rag it's like this is beginner's mind it's not that I'm an angry person it's just I'm I'm new to this And you know what was coming up for me that's interesting is that we started talking about identity and people changing their behaviors by Mm. having an identity shift. But it's also the same of the people around you. When you give somebody like your partner, like your child, an identity of they are grumpy, they are a catastrophizer, they are this, they are that, you react to them as if they are this thing. And actually, sometimes, like, if you just treat it like a blank slate, if somebody else behaved like that, like your good friend or something, you wouldn't react in that way. Like, oh God, no. you know, you're always doing this. Like you're always like this. <laughs> right. And it's kind of like, it's this perpetuating story. If you keep telling somebody that they are that thing, they're going to keep being that thing. And when you actually mm-hmm. start to see something different in somebody, then um, they start to see it in themselves. So it's like that identity is 360. It's on us and yeah. it's on all the people yeah. that we're looking at around us and that we're interfacing with. Totally. You're you're so right because it's not just about the identity that someone has for themselves. It's the identity that we force on people through the narrative in our own heads. And the way that we mm. react to somebody is totally linked to the way that we see them. Completely. Yeah. So it's just a reminder to everyone about that beginner's mind. Just... Model your children. They don't mind when they're crap at things, (laughs) you know? So we should be more like that. Um, But the third one, I I thought this is really interesting because um, I think this is a real key to unlocking behavior change, which is basically the reason that, you know, we are all doing things, not doing the things that we say that we're going to do is because we're scared of failure. We don't want to fail. And one of the primary things that our brain does is it wants to keep us safe all the time Um, and it also wants to reduce its workload so because it has so much to do already which is why we form all of these neural pathways it's why we have all these patterns it's why the thing thoughts that you had yesterday you are most likely going to have 90% of them again today and you're going to have 90% of them the next day you know we get into these patterns um so what our brain is trying to do is it's telling us that we are going to fail because it wants to keep us safe. It wants us to be right. And it doesn't want us to be, um, to feel any discomfort. Yeah. It's interesting as you're saying that it's reminding me of like one of my favorite teachers. And he often says this thing talking about his children where he's like, when they come back from school, he's like, what did you fail at today? And it's like, it's such a great question because it's basically Mm. saying to your kids, you know, 
it's good to fail. Like, tell me something that you tried today rather than I think so many of us grew up in quite different environments where actually I definitely wasn't getting asked what I failed at. I was getting asked, you know, why didn't I get the top marks? And that's Mm -hmm. no um, judgment on my parents. It's just the kind of environment that we were all in where we were of that generation where it was super important to get an education. You know, I... My parents grew up in very working class families. We were a middle class family and it was education was the way out. And it was something that was Mm. really, really valued. But with that came this huge pressure to just to be performing all the time. And that meant taking a step away from things that you weren't good at rather than thinking, what are the things that I enjoy? Yeah, absolutely. And it's I think that is every every household, you know, that even in our school system, it's we are told that we need to do better in the subjects where, you know, we weren't that good. And we're not told to lean into the things that we're actually naturally very good at. You know, we've spoken about this before, but it's that failure is, is seen as a negative. And the person that you're talking about is Sarah Blakely, who is the inventor of Spanx. I absolutely love her because she has completely she has redefined business. Um, and female entrepreneurship she's just such a role model of mine but she really puts down so much of her success to her father asking her that question every single day after school what did you fail at and when she didn't have a story for him he'd be disappointed he'd be and he'd kind of say you know if you're not failing at something you're not trying hard enough and I just that is something that I have when Enzo is old enough that is one of the things I'm always going to ask him you know totally but you know what we should be asking that question to ourselves. And it is something yeah, that I think that's true. I, I've noticed as I've started to try and lean into failure, how uncomfortable it is and how mm-hmm. unnatural it is and how I grew up in an environment where it was really important for me to be good at things. And yeah, so yeah. it feels awkward. And that's the thing about change is that, you know, when you do things and they feel uncomfortable, that's not a bad thing. It's just mm. saying I'm doing something different. And I'm, you know, when you when you are conscious about, why you're doing something different you can say to yourself like this feels uncomfortable because it's something different Mm -hmm. and I'm doing something different because I want a different outcome yeah yeah absolutely and actually so one of the ways that our brain keeps us safe is we say that we want to do say for example 10 minutes of strength training sorry we want to do we want to exercise three times a week say that's what we want to do um And our brain goes, okay, yeah, you know, you want to do that. But first you should check Instagram or first just, you know, just take a break. You've had a, you've had a busy day. Why don't you watch 30 minutes of that show on Netflix? Right? So this is all the ways that our brain is actually trying to protect us from discomfort. And there's this really good teacher called uh, Nir Ayal, and he's all about indistractability and creating focus in your life. And he has this thing called the 10 minute rule. And I am such an advocate of this. And Stephen has adopted it because it really, really works because Stephen is very prone to to procrastination. And basically the 10 minute rule is when you say that you're going to do something and your brain pops up and says, oh, just check Instagram. What ends up happening is you check Instagram and then you go down into a hole. And then all of a sudden that time slot that you had dedicated to this thing is gone. And so he says, acknowledge the feeling and say, okay, I'm going to do this thing that I said I'm going to do for 10 minutes. And then after 10 minutes, I'm going to go check Instagram. And I'm going to do that thing that makes my brain feel really comfortable. And so what ends up actually happening is once you start and you get over that barrier, 
you end up going on for longer than 10 minutes. I mean, what I always find is I say, I'm going to do it for 10 minutes. I end up doing it for 30 minutes, 40 minutes or whatever. Once I get it slow. Getting started is the hardest part. Getting started is the hardest part. And so what I find is I actually don't go back and do that other thing because I made my brain feel safe and and acknowledge it and say, yeah, okay, I'm going to go eat that, you know, cookie or I'm going to go, I'm going to go check Instagram or whatever. I, I end up getting started on the other thing. And I think it's it's just really important to remember for everybody here, and I guess this is a great thing for us to end on, is that discomfort is a good thing. Yeah. And when you are starting to do something new, there is likely to be failure. But, you know, even before the failure, there is going to be a feeling of discomfort. There's going to be resistance. And it's mm. reminding yourself that this is what you want. You want discomfort because you want a different outcome. And I think this, this desire to always be living in a, in comfort, it's, we are so surrounded by situations to make us comf- comfortable at the moment. You know, we've got television on demand. Mm. We've got our phones at our fingertip, giving us information all the time. We can get any food that we want at any time. And we mm. are, we're becoming less and less used to that feeling of discomfort. But this is what I want to end with for everybody, which is that The only place that you grow is discomfort. When you stay comfortable, you start to die inside. So next time you're kind of feeling that discomfort arise and you're thinking, I'm not going to do this. This isn't for me. You know, all of the voices are going in your head as to why you shouldn't do something or why you shouldn't try something different or, you know, protecting yourself from failure. Just remember you want to grow. You want to feel uncomfortable because that's where you're going to grow. Absolutely. There is nothing I can add to that. You summed it up so well. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of She's Electric. See you again next time. Thank you so much for joining us. If anything we talked about today resonated and you know a woman who needs to hear this too, please send her the episode and help us keep the movement going because women helping women only makes us stronger. To stay up to date on our latest episodes and the guests joining us, follow the She's Electric podcast on LinkedIn and Instagram. The music is Teenage Songbird by Forte, used with permission from the artist. We hope to see you again soon.